ان الحمد لله والصلاه والسلام على اشرف الانبياء وعلى اله واصحابه ومن والاه وبعد my dear brothers and sisters the topic of today's lecture is family matters because family matters and that is allah knows best that is the truth and the reason i thought of this was because of something that happened a few years ago in 1760 going on to about 1820 to 1840 started something that we know as the industrial revolution and that was the first nail in the coffin of the family the industrial revolution was less about industry than about people it was less about production of goods and sir and not so much services but goods than about social engineering and reengineering it was less about enhancing the welfare enhancing the money enhance money supply enhancing the financial well-being of people and more about cultural social and political domination of the world this industrial revolution brought about three fundamental changes and all of those affected the family as we know and those three fundamental changes were the three principles the three arkan the three pillars of a new religion that was born which from that day onwards from 1760 till today 2015 is the fastest growing the most powerful and the most dominant religion in the world the fastest growing religion is not islam the fastest growing religion is the one that started in 1760 and that religion has a name and it's called materialism an ism is a religion it's a way of being hinduism sikhism buddhism jainism Christianity and Islam have two different uh, endings but they are also isms so is communism so commercialism is a religion and that religion started in 1760 with the start of the industrial revolution the purpose of 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 commercialism the one point agenda of of commercialism was to maximize the sale of goods and services for the benefit of the owners of capital to maximize the sale of goods and services for the benefit of the owners of capital and the way the benefit of the owners of capital was sold was not obviously was not by stating that up front but was done by using euphemisms 
by using language, by using words, by using definitions which apparently were good, which apparently was for the benefit of everybody. But anyone with any intelligence and any discretion and any ability to understand could quite clearly see what was behind those definitions. And I will give you a few of those examples as we go along so that you can learn to identify how this is, uh, how this is shown and, and, and you know how this comes, comes forth. One of the most um, common ones, uh, most well-known ones was that you should earn your own living. So the sooner that you can earn your own living, the better for you. But if you think a little bit about that, how do you earn your living? You earn your living for the most part, for the vast majority of people, by working for somebody else. So the main purpose of selling this story of earn your living was to get as many people into the workforce as possible, as early as possible. Because once you set up factories, you needed workers. Where are they going to come from? And in the same line, therefore, was sold this beautiful story of women's liberation. The story was that women need to be liberated from their husbands, from their families. They must not be confined to their homes. They must be free to work. They must be free to realize their real potential. Yeah, this terminology is, sounds familiar, right? They must be free to find their fulfillment. And where is this fulfillment to be found? In the factories. Now the shape of the factory changed from didn't change completely because those factories are still there but it changed from sweatshops what we call sweatshops today which is dark and dingy badly lit assembly line manufacturing plants to today very nicely lit very nicely decorated air conditioned sweatshops even though you don't sweat that much because of the air conditioning but exactly the same thing where instead of, sta of sitting behind a machine you sit behind a computer screen and instead of talking to a person one on one you talk to a person on a phone and since the person at the other end who is the paymaster who pays cannot understand your stupid accent you are taught to speak with an accent that they understand. I don't know how many of you have actually been inside an ITS company. And if you walk the floor, you hear accents like you won't believe. You have aisles. <clears throat> you have an aisle called Times Square. You have an aisle, aisle called, you know, 15th Avenue. Or Saks Avenue or whatnot. A complete transformation of the person, of the culture, 
into an environment which is in sync with the people that they are serving. Now why am I telling you all this story of the of our industrial revolution? Because it deals directly with the family. And it deals directly with the family because as I told you the purpose of this new religion of materialism was to sell the maximum number of goods and services for the benefit of the owners of capital. Now how do you sell the maximum number of goods and, uh, and, and uh, services? By creating a need, by creating a demand. And how do you create a demand? By two things. By two things. By the ratcheting up of greed, by converting greed into a virtue and by converting, by making, disposing and throwing away of things into a virtue. So two ways. Increase greed, increase people, they, they want more and more and more. And if you want more then what must you do with what you have? Throw it, garbage. So we became a society, you can, if you, you, there, are, there is a huge amount of research to see the amount of, of uh, things, how things started to get disposed. And all of this was social engineering and all of this was, was, was changing the way people think and the way people take decisions. When I was growing up and there are, uh, I always have to, in this, in this uh, masjid, I always have to look to find who uh, is there of my vintage and I see fewer and fewer. But there are still a few of us who are here who remember a time when we actually never threw anything away. Never. Absolutely nothing was ever thrown away. For example, a shirt, the eldest son or the eldest child, the daughter or whoever it was wore a shirt and sometimes the shirt was what the father used to wear. So it was the father's shirt and then it went down to the next one and the next one and, the, and nobody resented having it. Nobody said, I want my own, I, I won't wear my brother's shirt. No, that was understood. You wore it and then eventually the shirt got to, to a stage where the shirt now changed identity and became a dish rag and then the dish rag changed identity and became a shoe polishing cloth and so on and so forth and it was still the same shirt. It never actually, it just eventually it sort of ceased to exist. The same thing happened with shoes, the same thing happened with all kinds of stuff. Food absolutely, absolutely, absolutely was never, 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 never thrown away. And not because we were starving or something, no. You did not throw food. But I can tell you the number of times that, the first time I was shocked after that, I was sort of less and less shocked. But the number of times I have seen perfectly good food, just tipped over into the garbage can in the West. It happens all the time. You go to McDonald's and McDonald's give you, gives you, you go buy a Big Mac and you say, well, I don't want to dry exactly this fast, so just give me the Big Mac and don't give me the fries. You say, I can't do that. The pack is the Big Mac, the fries and the can of Coke. This comes together. So we say, well, I don't want to die that fast. I, I you know, I'm, I'm okay with uh, having, uh, you know, one inch of uh, fat coating my uh, arteries per meal. You know, it can't, can't be what, we can only give you this. How many times have I seen, and I don't see that that often because I don't eat that stuff, but 
when I've been in, in the McDonald's, the person takes the tray from the counter. On the way from the counter to their table, they pass the garbage bin and they simply tip over the perfectly good, lovely, hot, freshly fried french fries into the garbage. They just throw it into the garbage and they get to the table. Ratchet up the greed and ratchet up disposability. So everything is disposable. Now this was the religion of the of materialism. Now how can you do that? And why did I say that this was the first nail in the coffin of the family? Because for a culture like this, family is bad news. Why is it bad news? It's bad news because in families, people save. In families, people recycle. In, in families, people reuse. In families, people make do. In families, people say, well, why must everyone have one of each? Share. Show concern for each other. All of these are bad news. Because in a society, in a culture, in a religion, and I, can, I, I deliberately use this term religion, where you want to ratchet up greed and you want people to buy more and more, it's bad news if people want to share. You don't want them to share. You want every kid to demand his own. I want my own. But your elder brother has one, use it. No. Your sister has one, use it. No. My own room in the house. What's my own room? Why do you need a room? My own everything. You know and I know that it's perfectly possible in a home. And if you actually did that, you would do away with a lot of evil. To have one computer and have multiple users, even using the same computer at the same time, because you could have different nodes that the people are using the same uh, CPU, so there's no problem. And the benefit would be that if you had that, then the chances of people surfing the net and going here and there and all kinds of stuff is much more easy to, much more easily monitored, and you know what is going on and so on and so forth. How many, how many homes do you know where people actually do this? I must have my own iPad, I must have my own software. A little kid yesterday, one of my friends, he uh, came here and the boy asked me, uh, he, asked, he asked me which is the best Sira book to read. So I said, uh, give me a piece of paper and I will write it. And of course, we are, I forget all the time, we don't live in a world of writing anymore. So he, he said, I, I'll take it to my phone. And then he has a password on his phone, which is like eight, eight or nine letters. So I said, why do you need a password like that on your phone? For what? Which great state secret are you carrying in your phone? The first thing I do when I get a phone is I disable every, all, the, all the security, which to me security is nonsense. It's complete nonsense because for the simple reason that first of all I have nothing to hide so you're most welcome to see whatever I have. And secondly is that anyone who wants to break into your security can actually break into whatever security you have and that's a, that's a reality which you better believe before you fool yourself into, into talking stuff and writing stuff that you really should not be talking and writing. The people who want to break into that security, believe me, they are the ones who created that security in the first place. So they know how to break into that. So that security is no security anyway. The best security is live a clean life. Then you don't need to hide anything. 
we don't use, we don't reuse, we don't share. Family is bad news. And that's exactly what happened when this new religion started. And that's today's the fastest growing religion. Do you know what the temples of this religion, uh, what, are, what they are called? Malls. Hmm? These are all educated guys who come to my classes. The malls are the temples of this religion. And unlike the temples of God, they don't close. They are open 24-7. No national holidays, no festival holidays, because on a national holiday, what must you be doing? Shopping. On a festival holiday, what must you be doing? Shopping. If you are sick, what do you need? Retail therapy. Shopping. If you are sad, what must you do? Shopping. If you are happy, of course you must be shopping. <laughs> eh? Yeah. That is the religion. 24-7. Anytime that you want to go to buy something. Everyone admires my, uh, my mattress, my self-inflating uh, air mattress. You know, when, you know where and when I bought it? I bought it at 2 a.m. in L.L. Bean in the U.S. Why 2 a.m.? Because we were going somewhere and that was the only time we said, well, let's drive past L.L. Bean. So I said, 2 a.m. They said, well, you know, they don't close. <laughs> so 2 a.m. I walk into L.L. Bean and L.L. Bean is, is absolutely it's a fantastic business. a great business study of how a small business can be absolutely iconic and do great service. They have the best camping equipment in the world and this is not an LLB in commercial either so and I, and I got this matter fantastic but the point I'm making is that those temples never close who are the high priests of those uh, temples the ad men are the evangelists uh, you, you, you are getting ahead of me ad men are the evangelists they are the they are the dawa workers the high priests are your, the people who are selling. Now, having said all of this, I want to say one more thing and then we get to the solutions. And that one more thing is, is essential. Because what happened with the Industrial Revolution is that this new religion, it brought about another thing, which is that it changed three critical things. It changed the time of day. It changed the time of day. It changed parental role and it changed the source of knowledge. These three major changes were made. How did time of day change? In agrarian societies, the day begins when the sun rises and the day ends when the sun sets. In industrial societies, the day begins when the shift starts and the day ends when the shift ends. So your day can begin at 2 a.m. and end at 10 a.m. or your day can begin at 10 p.m and end at 2 a.m. nothing to do with the sun. The shift bell decides when your day begins and when your day ends and the rest of your life revolves around that. And those who have done graveyard shifts in uh, IT as companies, IT companies and so on and so forth, you know, what I, you know what I'm talking about, right? That doesn't matter. What matters is that you are, you should be there to produce. And this was sold to you as this is your self-fulfillment. I was in a I was in one country where, uh, and I'm trying to be deliberately vague because I know those people will watch this video and we don't want them to identify it. But one of my very good friends, he 
said to me, uh, can you please speak to my wife? Uh, to because she wants to go out and work. So I said, let her go out and work. What's the problem? There's no, it's not haram in Islam. He said, no, 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 but we have three children and the youngest one is, uh, I think it was less than a year old or something, or, or maybe one year old. Uh, two children, two children. One was about two and a half or something, the other one was a year old. And uh, she is very unhappy at home and so on and so forth. So I said, okay, so he came and his wife came. So I asked her, I said, what's the, what's the score? So she said, no, I, I, I have to find self-fulfillment. So I said, oh, oh, tell me about it. This is all stuff. No, no one actually, the words like self-fulfillment are not natural words. Please understand. No one actually, no uh, logical, sensible, normal, uh, decent, uh, moral human being can think of a world called self-fulfillment. This is rubbish. This is, uh, this is uh, admin uh, process grass that is created and you are fed these words and you spout them out as if they are your own so I have to find self-fulfillment I said, oh my god you've got you have to find self-fulfillment now who is she so uh, and then you're going to find <laughs> yeah. so I said you're going to find the self-fulfillment where so I need to go to work in a in a, in a, in a you know ITS company so fantastic very good so you are going to find self-fulfillment in the ITS company. I said, let me let me put this, uh, a different spin on this. So I said, tell me something. Uh, you are currently in a position where you are molding the future global leaders of this world. Potentially the future global leaders of this world. You are molding people, uh, even though those people are like less than 12 inches high just now. But you are molding those people with the potential to change the way this world works. And you believe that your self-fulfillment is going and answering phone calls about credit cards. I mean, does it make sense? Because that's what you're going to be doing there. You're going to be sitting in a call center answering, answering phone calls about credit cards. And I can tell you some stories about that. One woman calls from America and, and has in the credit card inquiry, she says, you know, I'm, I, I, I must tell you, um, I lost my husband. So this woman says, uh, did you call the police? So I lost my husband. She said, did you call the police? Because completely orientation is, you know, zapped. So the point is, so I said, then this lady, I mean, may Allah bless her, she said, she said, you know what, I never thought of that. I never thought of it like that. Now I understand there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a non-romantic angle to changing uh, nappies. And I, I'm, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saved me from that. I have all these wonderful uh, sons and daughters of mine who are hugely devoted to me. At least they pretend. And, uh, and then inshallah I hope that when I die they will all make dua for me. And the, the best news is that I never changed a single nappy for any of them. So this is... Uh, and even, even better news is that I don't pay any of their bills. They pay, their parents pay their bills. And that's bliss. You have the children without the nappies, without the bills. I mean, any parent would give an arm and a leg for that, right? So the point is that uh, the thing that changed was this time of day. And this is what happened. So the whole idea was sold that you sh this is where you find your self-fulfillment. So time of day changed from daybreak to, to dawn to dusk to factory shift. And I'll tell you in a minute why that is important. Second one which changed was parental role. What was the role of the parents in an agrarian society, which is what the massive part of the world was and even today in countries like ours, still a major part of the world is agrarian. The role of the parent was the role of the teacher of life skills. The children learned their life skills directly from the parents. 
So the father and the mother was the sheikh and the sheikha of the house. Usually, and that's how the roles were divided, there was no superior-inferior angle to that, and that also was given as a spin. In agrarian societies, no one treated them like that. So the role was that the boys learned the life skills of agriculture from the father. So they went to work with the father. They learned the whole issue of when to plant and when not to plant and rain and seed and so on and so forth and tilling the land and looking after the animals and all of this they, they learned. Like little toddlers they would run behind the plow and then slowly they started taking responsibility and these things happened. The carpenter's children, the whole process of apprenticeship how did people learn? They learned from their parents. The carpenter's son became a carpenter, the farmer's son became a farmer and so on and so forth and through a system of apprenticeship, what we call in Arabi Tarbiya. Tarbiya is not only related to, to Deen, Tarbiya is upbringing, it is training. That's how they learned. Similarly, the girls learned the homemaking skills. They learned cooking and they learned sewing and they learned medicine and they learned all kinds of things. Upbringing of children. What do you do with a, with a newborn uh, baby? How do you treat them? How do you deliver a woman when she, is, uh, when she is due to deliver and so on and so forth. All of this came from the mother. So the children learned from their parents. One of the first benefits of that was that there was a bond of love, a bond of respect between the parent and the child because for the child the father was someone that I learned my life skills from what the industrial revolution did and that's why I told you the day time of day was important is it converted the father into an ATM machine and the mother into the cart so as far as the children were concerned as the as long as the father was the provider of money and as long as the money was coming it really didn't matter what the father did in any case i have no clue what the father does because the father goes away to work and comes back from work and usually is exhausted and tired so he goes to sleep and what the father does in the factory and so forth i i as the child i as the son i have no access to that i don't have access to get there i don't know what he does i have no clue what and so on and so forth so i know nothing about that part of my father's life all i am concerned about is that my father makes enough money so when i need something i ask if i get it directly well and good if i don't get it i go to the mom use manipulation the mother is the atm machine card so the mother gets the money for me as far as i'm concerned i'm fine as long as i'm getting the money when my father drops Deads, drops dead that's that's also fine as long as the money does not stop so the role of the parents changed from being the teachers of life skills to being the providers of money and the third thing we changed was that where we got our values from that changed and that is because of the birth of the system today which we know as the school Schooling was started as a necessity. Why? Because you take the mother and the father both out of the house, then who looks after the children? So you needed to do that. What was the industrially effective way of looking after children? Agrarian society. For a child, there is at least one caretaker, one to one. The mother is there. 
two children or three children, still you have a ratio of one caretaker to a to two or three children. If you have more than two or three children, then you still have the same ratio because the older children take care of the younger children. So you have a community system where the ratio of caretaker to the child never goes beyond one to one or one to two. But that is industrially inefficient. So what did you need? You need a system, you needed a system where you have one caretaker to 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 children that was highly efficient because the, the cost of the caretaker was now distributed over those children. The caretaker was an overhead, you needed to distribute the overhead cost. The more number of units you distribute that cost over, the less the cost of the overhead. That was how the creche, the daycare center and the school was born. So what now happened? What happened apart from this, the economic angle to that was that the children now took their values from a stranger who was usually not of their religion, was not of their family, was not of their culture, was a foreign part imported from somewhere and that stranger came with his or her own values which were now transported and given to your children quite irrespective of whether those values were acceptable in your home or not. What was the curriculum of these schools, which continues to this day, dependent on what the product of the school was supposed to be? What did you want these schools to produce? Did you want these schools to produce great global leaders who would question society, question what was happening in society, who would challenge injustice, who would stand up for integrity, who would take the bull by the horns if something was going wrong? Did you want those kind of people? No. No. Those kinds of people are a pain in the you know what. You don't want those kind of people. What do you want? You want malleable, cooperative morons. MCMs, malleable, cooperative morons. You want people who do not think. You want people who will follow. You want people who will obey orders. You want people who will say, yes, sir. And that is how the industrial system was created. The most undemocratic, the most autocratic, the most slavish system in the world is the corporate organization and the fact that you never thought of that till now shows that you are a product and potentially you are an MCM you are a malleable cooperative moron because how else why did you not question the fact that this whole society the so-called Western society flies the flag of democracy. In a democracy, leaders are what? Elected or selected? When was the last time you elected your manager in your company? Do you ever have elections in an organization? Managers are selected. Managers are promoted by whom? By the people who work for them or by the people they work for? Did you ever think of that? Who decides who is going to be the chairman of a company? The workers? What happens when a company goes down the drain? Who is the first one who loses the job? The worker or the chairman? 
the worker whose decision 100% of the time not 99% 100% of the time whose decisions send a company down the drain the decision of the worker or the decision of the chairman who takes bad financial decisions the board of the company or the people on the on the in the on the shop floor the board of the company but who loses the job the board or the, or the shop floor the most oppressive dictatorial system is the corporate organization see my uh, um, one of my blogs it's uh, i have a an article called the corporation and democracy see that article and that's why you needed a school system which created this people who will work their butts off and when they die they will go die quietly and if the company shuts down they will blame themselves and they will say i lost my job they will not say i got suckered which is what you should say you say i lost my you blame yourself i lost my job why did you lose your job did you not go to work were you not working hard enough did you steal some something what did you do you did exactly what you were supposed to do still you lost your job why because of somebody else's bad decision and of course above the corporate heads come the bankers who are the actual owners of capital and the bankers never 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 do wrong and that's why when they sink the whole economy they go away with severance packages of hundreds of millions of dollars not millions hundreds of millions of dollars for thank you very much you just sank my economy thank you very much because i just lost my whole family and job so i must pay you for helping me do that so hundreds of millions of of uh, pounds and dollars as severance packages and then of course we have to bail you out because you're too big to sink so we give you trillions of dollars now not billions or millions we give you trillions of dollars who to whom to the same people who sank the bloody economy in the first place we give you trillions of dollars so that you can bring it up excuse me you just sank the thing how do, how can you bring if you could know if you knew how to bring it up how come you sank it so one of two things either i am stupid that i am giving you trillions of dollars to somebody who sinks the economy and who doesn't know what they are doing or maybe the sinking was not done because they did not know what to do the sinking was done because the sinking also makes money not for you not for you are an insect who cares what happens to you but for somebody you get very rich sinking an economy and of course then you can get the same governments to give you back trillions of dollars to rebuild that economy so that you can sink it again read the history of of the of the economic uh, society of the of society's economy from 1760s and you will find peaks and troughs and peaks and troughs and peaks and troughs why are you stupid or what why how come you can't figure out a system where there is smooth movement of economic activity without the peaks and troughs why must you have the great depression of the 1930s which practically destroyed american society and then again and again and again and this goes happening all the time and we are sitting on the brink of one just now so good news for you start buying bread or something and stocking up this is what happened and the reason i'm telling you this whole story and there's plenty more and i'm not going to go into all that because i have a time limit to to finish my lecture this is what happened to the family now having given you all this bad news let me give you some good news and the good news is that this need not happen to the family 
This doesn't have. This is not a state of being. This is not the word of God. This does not have to happen. It happens only if you are too stupid and dumb to allow it to happen. What should happen to the family? Allah Subhanahu wa Taala mentioned that, and He said, "Aaudhu billahi min ash-shaytanir rajim, Bismillahirrahmanirrahim, wa min ayatihi an khalaqalakum min anfusikum azwaja." لِتَسْكُنُوا إِلَيْهَا وَجْعَلَ بَيْنَكُمْ مَوَدَّةً وَرَحْمَةً إِنَّ فِي ذَلِكَ لَآيَاتٍ لِقَوْمٍ يَتَفَكَّرُونَ In Surah Al-Rum, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Jalla Jalaluhu said وَمِنْ آيَاتِهِ And from his ayat, from his signs is that he has created خَلَقَ لَكُمْ مِنْ أَنفُسِكُمْ أَزْوَاجًا he created from amongst yourselves your mates, your husbands and your wives, your mates, Azwajan. And then Allah mentioned three words. Why? Litaskunu ilayha. So that you find sukun in them. Wajala bainakum and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala put between the two of you mawaddatan wa rahma. He put mawadda and rahma. He put Love and he put mercy. So three words. What are the three words? Sukun, love and mercy. And I want you to hang on to these three words because I'm going to tell you what it means. Verily in this there are signs for the people who, are, who can think. For the people who can think. The Quran constantly tells you stop being a malleable cooperative moron. Think. Allah gave you a brain, not for you to grow your hair on. Your head is not a pot full of manure for the crop of hair on your head. And going by that is pretty, it's pretty bad manure because a lot of us have very little hair. Use your brains. Think. Three words. Sukun. So what is the family definition of Islam? The family definition is sukoon. Sukoon is the lack of movement. If you take the Arab, if you take the, the matras in Arabic language, the fata, kathra, and dhamma, zabarzair pesh, aiu, there is a fourth one which is called sukoon. Sakina. What is sukoon? Jazam. What is sukoon? Uh, su uh, fata, kathra, dhamma, are movements and sukoon is lack of movement there is no movement so sukoon in terms of the family is the value where once you are married then there is no movement away from the spouse the heart does not move away from the spouse the eyes do not move away from the spouse the interest does not go out from the spouse the concern the compassion the mutual Connection does not move away from the from the spouse. I've got some people here with mischievous smiles on their faces. <laughs> I would love to go inside the head and think, what is he thinking? <laughs> yeah, he's got a very halal beard and everything at the back of the God knows what's going on in his head. Alhamdulillah. No movement away from the spouse. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, لِتَسْكُنُوا إِلَيْهَا This is the reason why we created you, so that there is sukun. Sukun also means the home is like the port to which a ship returns. What would you say about a port in the, if there is a storm inside the port? 
So what's the good of the port? You come into the port to get out of the storm. A ship can take battering on the, on the open seas, but if there is battering also inside the port, then there is a big, big time problem because the port is supposed to be where now I can relax, where I don't need my defenses. I can lower my defenses, I can be myself. I don't have to pretend to be anything else. I'm not fighting anybody. There's no one attacking me. But what have our homes become today? A sister asked me a question and says that uh, the Qadha fasts of Ramadan, do I need my husband's permission to fast after Ramadan to make up my Qadha fast? So I say you don't need a permission. It's not as if you have to give an application and get uh, three signatures or something. You don't need a permission to do your Qadha fast because the Qadha is Qadha. This is like fast. We have to complete the fast. But I said it's, on, it's only common uh, sense and good sense and decency or whatever you want to call it to at least, you know, let the husband know. I mean, you don't want him to suddenly discover that you're fasting or something. So tell him that. She says, no, no, no. My husband stops me without a valid reason. I said, oh, wow. Now, what is a valid reason? What's a valid reason? I said, I really don't know what is a, what would be a valid reason. Because according to you, he tells you don't fast and he has no valid reason to say that. So I said, according to you, what would be a valid reason? So I said to her, I said, it looks to me that you are less interested in pleasing Allah than in taking a pot shot at your husband. I mean, this seems to be the main idea of Qadha fast so that I can throw the religion book at his face and say, you can't tell me I can't fast. That is the purpose of the fasting, not the rida of Allah Jalla Jalalu. You want to show that in this case, I can do what I want, I don't, have, I don't need your permission. I said, what does it say about the kind of family home that you have? So homes have become places, they have become boxing rings. Where the purpose of the husband and the wife is to show who is the boss every single day. Now this is not what Islam told us about. Islam said the home must be a place of sukoon, must be a place of harmony, must be a place where you don't need defenses. We are not fighting a battle anymore. You fought all your battles outside. You came home, now at peace. And then Allah said, وَجَعَلَ بَيْنَهُمْ مَوَدَّةً وَرَحْمَةً And we put between them mawadda, love. Love is love as in loving a person, it's passion and so on and so forth between the two people and then Allah said we put Rahmah. What is Rahmah? Rahmah is to do good when there is no reason to do good. Please understand what is mercy? Mercy is to do good to somebody or in a situation where not to do so would be entirely justifiable. If you are returning good for good it is not mercy. But when you are returning good for bad, it is mercy. And this is what we expect from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala jalla jalalu. Rahmah is the quality of our Rahman. So what are we saying to Allah? Ya Allah, give me as good as I gave you. Are we saying this? No. No way. No way. We are saying, Ya Allah, do me good even though I do bad all the time. Ya Allah, forgive me even though I don't deserve it. Ya Allah, I try my best to offend you all the time, but please don't get offended. I try to anger you all the, all the time, but please don't get, don't get angry. Why? Because you are Ar-Rahman. You are merciful. Have mercy on me. I don't deserve the mercy but still have mercy on me anyway because you are Ar-Rahman. This is the quality Allah gave in the family. Allah says have Rahman. When will you have Rahman? When your husband or wife is doing funny things. 
Women do them, do these funny things at least once in a month. Men do it all the time. You know, whenever I make statements like this, they, all these men, they laugh and he he he. Until I make my next statement, then they, all the smiles go away. Women at least have a reason, once in a month, you have no reason. But that is where you show mercy. That's where you show mercy. So, mawadda is love, rahma is mercy. When my husband or my wife cannot fulfill their duties anymore, when they are weak, when they are sick, when there is some reason, something happens, what do I do? Go shopping? No. I honor the good that I received from them for all these years. I stick by them. There is a wonderful story of this very old man in his 80s who came to a doctor for some appointment of his. And it was not a major matter, but it was a small thing. But he kept telling the nurse, I need to see the doctor very quickly. Uh, I'm, I'm in a hurry. So the nurse said, why are you in a hurry? For what? He said, because I always have breakfast with my wife. So he said, where is your wife? He said, she said, he, she is in the, in the, in the uh, rehab center. She is in the hospice. She says, why is she there? He said, because she has dementia. She's lost her mind. She's got Alzheimer's. She's lost her mind. So the woman says, does she know who you are? Does she recognize you? He says, no. She says, no. So he says, she says why are you so bothered? Because she doesn't even know you are, who you are. He says, I'm bothered because I know who she is. She doesn't know me anymore. But I know who she is. So I go and I have breakfast with her every day. So let me finish my appointment fast so I can get there. This is Rahma. This is honoring the good that you got throughout your life. And that is the, the meaning and the example of the family in Islam. A home that is pur sukoon, filled with sukoon. Pur sukoon is a Farsi word which we use in, in Urdu. Pur is complete, full, full of sukoon. When you come into the house, Alhamdulillah, I don't want to leave and go anywhere. Alhamdulillah, Allah has blessed me, I have a house like this. And people who know me will, will bear witness. I don't even go out of this gate for literally weeks on end. The only time I go out of the gate is when I'm traveling out of the country. I do that quite a lot. But when, when I'm in Hyderabad, I don't even leave the gate of this. I, I, my house and I come down to the masjid. That's it, period. And I'm very, very happy. Because the house is a place of sukoon. You come there, you are, you are tranquil, you are peaceful. All your needs are taken care of. No worries. You don't have to pretend to be something. Well, I don't pretend to be anything. <coughs> but still, when you're outside, there is some pretense. I mean, you are still trying to be polite to people who you really don't want to be polite to and whatnot. <coughs> that is that much of, you know, good pretense. But at home, Alhamdulillah, Sukoon, Mawadda and Rahmah, love. And that's why I tell people, I said in Islam, out of Islam we say, I fell in love with my wife or with this girl or whatnot. And I tell people, falling is a bad idea, just try it. Stand up and fall. <laughs> falling into anything is a bad idea. I mean, if, 
So you never fall into anything. It's a terrible thing to do. You, you know, you hurt yourself. In Islam, we grow in love. We don't fall into it. We grow into it. And when you grow into it, you fall in love every day. Every day. Every instant. I'm not exaggerating. Believe me, I am not exaggerating. And Alhamdulillah, because I know so many of you so well, I know that I am not alone in this experience. I know that there are many of you, Alhamdulillah, who will share this experience with me. That's the truth, isn't it? Alhamdulillah, may Allah give you, give all of you such families. Where you fall in love every day. Every single day. Without a doubt. Home like that. Which is a place of sukoon. A place of love, a place of concern, of compassion, of taking care. And not because you are you doing somebody a favor. No. This is what you do. This is me. Why are you doing that? Because this is me. Mawaddan Rahman. And that's the reason why, and I'm coming to a close, and we'll close with the roles. That's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave different roles to different people. The role of the primary roles, I'm not, I'm not saying that to do anything else is haram. It's not haram, but the primacy of the role. The primary role of the husband in, in Islam is to spend on his family. Is to go out and earn his living, or earn his living in whichever way, and to spend on his family. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, they have, Allah has given control and Allah has given responsibility to the rijal, to the men over the women because of what they spend on them. Nabi sallallahu said, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's anger is cooled by sadaqah. And the best sadaqah is that which you spend on your own family. So when this lecture finishes, go and buy your wife a nice big solitaire. And if you want her to be obedient to you all your life, then buy her a solitaire which is so heavy that she always has to walk in a position of ruku. She cannot stand up. <laughs> yeah? You will get complete obedience. She will be like this the whole time. Because big thing is happening. Spend on your family. Best of sadaqah. Think about it. You are spending on your family. Allah is giving you a reward for this. Walhamdulillah. So the role of the husband. This is the primary, primary role is this. Second part of the primary role is to give direction to the family in terms of their religion. Whose job is it to introduce Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to the family? The job of the husband. Please understand, Rasulullah never ran a crash. Rasulullah never ran a daycare center. Nabi did not run a maktab or a school. <coughs> Rasulullah taught adults. The children around the Prophet were not a class of children that he was teaching. They just hung out with the Prophet. Right? People who were around him, the young ones, whether it was Zaid bin Haritha anhu, or whether it was Abdullah ibn Abbas anhu, or it was Anas bin Malik anhu, these were kids and there were others, there was a Jewish boy who used to be with Nabi all the time. So these were little ones who just hung around with the Prophet, they just were there in the company of the Prophet and they learned a hell of a lot, they became major scholars but they did not become major scholars by sitting and, and learning theology at the feet of the Prophet Nabi taught the adults. He taught the men and he taught the women, both. Rasulullah had specific days on which he used to teach women. Because the women came and they said, Ya Rasulullah, the men are with you all the time. We don't get your company. 
We don't, like, we don't get to learn from you. We need, it's, our, it's our haq because you are the Nabi for the men and the women. So Rasulullah said yes. And he would teach the men on certain days and he would teach the women on certain days. The adults. The khutbah of Eid, Rasulullah used to give the khutbah to the men and then he would actually walk over to where the women are sitting and he would give a khutbah to the women. And these men who learnt from the Prophet went back home and they taught their wives and children. So the role, a primary role of the husband is to be the breadwinner, bread earner, call it what you want, and to be the one to give direction for the family, the, the values, the ethics, the morals, the religion. Introduce them to Allah, introduce them to the Sunnah of Rasulullah. Who teaches you? Just ask yourself, see how we have destroyed this religion. Who taught you how to read Quran? How many of you were taught by your mother or your father how to read Quran? And how many of you were taught by an Imam or a Mawazin or somebody that you paid some money to, usually a pittance, to teach your children how to read Quran? And then you say, my children have no respect for me. Find me a child who learned Quran from his father, who does not respect the father. It's not possible. It is not possible that my son learns Quran from me and then he does not respect me. This is not doable. Cannot happen. The son does not respect you because you are, in, you are a walking, talking ATM machine. How many people who respect ATM machines? They get nothing from you. They, they get no religion from you. They get no ethics and values and morals from you. You are somebody who comes and goes. As long as money comes, who cares? We have done this to ourselves. You hire, a, you hire an imam from the local masjid to come and teach your, cha your child the Quran and you treat that imam as a glorified servant. He is made to sit somewhere, he is given tea in a chipped cup and if the child doesn't want to study, Which the English teacher comes, the science teacher comes, the math teacher comes because we have, we've got schools. Again, one of the things you never question. You pay a fee, you send a child to the school, he spends eight hours of, of his life in a school and then every subject that he learns in the school, you are supposed to pay more money to give private tuition. You don't have the sense to ask the people, what the devil did my son do for eight hours in school? Why is he having to be sent for private tuition? He's not a stupid kid. You don't have the sense to ask this, so you, you spend. So now your maths teacher, maths tuition teacher comes to, to the same Baba who is tired. But for the Quran, this is not there. For the Quran, this is okay. But math teacher, physics teacher, what not? No way. No way. First of all, you pay him like 10 times what you pay the Maulisa because that, well, that man is not going to teach physics and, and math for the same price that the Maulvi uh, to, takes to teach Quran. So you pay that much money, so you have got more value for that. I would drag the kid by the scruff of his stupid neck and make him sit there to learn that subject. What value are you teaching? The role of the husband is to teach values. The role of the mother, the role of the wife, is to take care of the family is not to become a source of azab for the family is not to become a gladiator baiting her husband like a gladiator baits a bear in the in the, in the pit 
and then slaughter him every day and never kill him completely because then, then you where's the fun right every day a little bit seriously i mean i, I tell you it's a tragic absolutely to see the the state to which uh, some uh, relationships have been re have been reduced so do that humiliate him every day one way directly indirectly what not and then you say my children don't respect the father you are the one who created it you destroyed the worth of the father in the eyes of the children how are they going to the children are believe me those kids they from the from the age their eyes open they can see and they can they know they understand so don't believe don't think that the child is one year old two year old they don't understand they understand everything they understand jolly side side more than you think a friend of mine in the uk tells me that uh, they had this three year old daughter so they were watching this movie and this girl was she was also there and this movie had some interesting scenes so when they were coming close to that they they told the little one they said father says please go get me some water so she said you watching sex again huh three year old and what does she know about sex so so much for you thinking that you are protecting the child from you're not protecting anything if you have a television in the house and you're watching all sorts of haram believe me that is affecting everybody whether you like it or not if you put a tv monitor in a masjid to relay a lecture or a khutbah because the masjid is big or because there is a lady section and the and the women cannot see the imam so in some cases especially for <coughs> in in salah if the power goes off or what not and if the not the power if the if the uh, mic or something happens or if the you know imam is making sujood and many people don't know sometimes unless it is announced which is the ayat of sujood uh, so they they there's confusion because they can't see but if they see the imam all this confusion is not there also if the lectures and so on if they can see the imam it's more interesting and they they are more engaged people object how can you put a uh, how can you put a tv screen in the masjid believe me we are not showing show soap operas in the masjid and how come you never object to that tv screen in the house where they are seeing soap operas we got all our priorities upside down so the point is that teaching of the value so what was the what is the woman supposed to do taking care nurturing reinforcing one of the worst things that you can do as a husband and wife as a father and mother is to is to argue with each other in the presence of the children is to contradict each other in the presence of children is to fight with each other in the presence of children father says something mother says no and children believe me they are very smart and that's where children learn politics they know they learn how to manipulate one against the other and they do it masterfully they do it brilliantly they will come and ask you can i do this you say no he'll go he'll go and ask the mother independently can i do this mother says okay he'll come back and say but mom said you can i can do it children learn manipulation very very fast and they do it all the time unconsciously they do it all the time master manipulators they'll run one against the other who taught them that you because of the way that you behave with each other role of the children is to respect the parents is to honor the parents it is to obey the parents but sometimes parents think that they have the right to say what they want they have the right to do what they want they have to write they have the right to say whatever they want whichever way they want absolute nonsense absolute nonsense 
Just because you are the father or, the, or that you are the mother doesn't mean that you are, your mouth has no bridle on it and no limit on it. That you can say whatever you want, you can curse children, you can give them bad duas, you can, you can yell at them, scream at them. No, you can't. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will, will punish you if you do that. It does not give you, there's no, in Islam, believe me, there's no free for all for anyone. The children are supposed to serve the parents, yes, but the parents must be worthy of respect. The child is still supposed to serve you, even if you are, even if you are not worthy of respect, if you have completely destroyed your own, your own respect in the eyes of the children, which happens in some cases. The children will still honor you. When you die, they have to still bury you because you are, that dead body belongs to you, their family. What are, you, what are they going to do with you? So they will still honor you. But believe me, that's it. That honor is only, they are doing it because it's as a sense of duty. They don't love you anymore, they don't care. And they will be very happy when you drop dead. Because one pain in the neck is gone. That's all you are. You are a big pain in the neck. Who wants you anyway? Is that what you want to do with yourself? Think about that. Is that what you want to do with yourself? But this is what we do. So children, must honor the parents, but the parents must behave in honorable ways. They must behave in ways which inspire this honor. Rasulullah used to be surrounded with people. Rasulullah used to be surrounded with people to such an extent that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed Quran and said, Do not stick to my Nabi like this. He said, When he invites you for a meal, don't go and sit from daybreak. Go at the time you are invited. And when you finish eating, leave. Don't sit there making conversation. And Allah says, my Nabi is too shy to tell you that, but I am not shy. Allah is not shy to tell you. He has a private life, leave him. How did Nabi Sallallahu behave with his family? Rasulullah Sallallahu one day, Sayyidah Aisha Siddiqa Anha is making bread, she is making roti. So she said to him, and he was there with her. So she said to him, Ya Rasulullah, let's see if you can make roti as fast as I can. So Nabi Sallallahu said, yes. Imagine this. Eh? So she is making roti and Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam is also making roti. Now say the Aisha Radhiallahu makes one and makes two and makes three and makes four and Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam's one roti is still sitting on the pan and it is... So she started laughing at him. She said, Ya Rasulullah, you can't even make roti. Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, Aisha, that is not, not nothing to do with me. It's not because of the, because I don't know how to make roti. She said, the thing that the hand of Muhammad touches, the fire cannot burn. He said, what can I do? He said, the thing that the hand of Muhammad touches, the fire cannot burn. So the, my roti never gets cooked. Uh, this is the life of Muhammad Sallallahu One day Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi and Aisha and have a big argument. Big argument. And said, Aisha was a very spirited woman. So, in the middle of this argument, Sayyidina Abu Bakr Siddiq anhu walks in. Because he is the father of, the, of uh, Sayyidina Aisha and the closest friend of Israel. He walks into the house. So he says, what is going on? So, Nabi Sallallahu says to Aisha anha, let's ask your father, who is right between me and you. So, Aisha Siddiq anhu says to him, okay, so you tell him, but tell him the truth. Eh? Who is she saying this to? Muhammad Rasulullah You tell him but tell him the truth. Abu Bakr Siddiq couldn't take it anymore. He slammed her. He slapped her hard on the face and her mouth started bleeding. 
He said, you are telling the Nabi to tell the truth? Rasulullah turned on Abu Bakr Siddiq and said, get out of my house. Imagine, who is he saying this to? His closest friend, about whom he said that Allah, I have completed the last khutbah the Nabi gave on the Thursday and he died on the, on the Monday. He called the people and he said, who is there that I owe anything to? Come and take his haq from me. Come and take his haq from me. And a man came and said, Ya Rasulullah, you poked me in my stomach with an arrow once. So I want my haq. Nabi Sallallahu was stating the saf of the, of, the, of the salah and he used to actually walk from one end of the saf to the other end and sometimes he would have an arrow in his hand and if somebody was sticking out he would you know gently sort of poke him and said go back so this man he said you poked me in my stomach with your, with your, with your arrow it hurt me so I want my haq so Nabi Sallallahu yes so Nabi Sallallahu he came so Nabi Sallallahu lifted his shirt he said okay so take your haq he hugged the Prophet Sallallahu and he kissed him And he said, Ya Rasulullah, this is what I wanted to do. And this Prophet he told Abu Bakr Siddiq, get out of my house. Abu Bakr Siddiq left. Then he turns, to, he turns to Aisha and he says, you know what, this is what happens when we involve other people in our arguments. We should never involve other people. And she started laughing. This was the Prophet this was how he treated his people. This was how he treated his wife. His first wife, Khadijatul Kubra, who he was married to for 25 years, the only woman in his life at the time, said, Aisha says, the only woman that I am jealous of, of the wives of Rasulullah is a woman who is not even alive anymore. They said, who is that? She says, Khadija. He says, because anytime Khadija's name is mentioned, he changes. He says, any friend of Khadija comes, he gives them so many things, so many gifts. His whole life. One of his daughters was married to the son of Abu Jahl. When he was, when the man was captured in Badr, and he was confined, and the Sahaba, they, they knew that this is man is the son-in-law of the Prophet They said, Ya Rasulullah, if you want, we'll release him. And he said, no, the prisoners are prisoners, leave them. So his daughter was living in uh, Makkah at the time. As a ransom for him, she sent a, a necklace that was given to her by Khadija al-Kubra, by her mother. She sent the necklace and they came with the necklace and said, your daughter has sent this as ransom for husband. Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam saw it and he wept. And he said, take it back, give it back to her. And the Sahaba said, Ya Rasulullah, we release him. He said, take him, give this back to her. Honoring his wife, who was long dead. This is the family, my brothers and sisters in Islam. And that's why I said family matters. Believe me, family matters. Taking care of each other matters. Respecting each other matters. Being compassionate with each other matters. 
We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to fill your families with noor. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to bring your hearts close together. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to remove any rancor, any pride, any kind of conflict that you may feel towards one another. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to bring you close to one another. And for that I have a, 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 a prescription for you. When you go home today, go and meet your family members, your father, your mother, your brother, your sister, your husband, your wife. Go and meet them and hug them and kiss them. No matter what, go do that. Because that is a healing for you. And do that especially to the ones who you have problems with. That's healing for you. If you have heard them, go apologize. And don't say, if I did anything. You know jolly well what you did. You know bloody well what you did. So don't say, if I did anything. Go and say, I, I said all this to you. I apologize. Please forgive me. You don't want to die with that, believe me. And you don't want to die taking that with you. Right? They are coming close to the time of iftar, so I will not continue anymore. Inshallah, we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to enable us to understand the, the lessons from this. We ask Allah to enable us to see the world in the reality that it is and not fall into this and not get converted to commercialism. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to enable us to break out of the bonds and, and chains of slavery of commercialism and, and treat family like the family should be treated and get out of this worshipping in the malls. Get out of buying stuff you don't need. Get out of trashing stuff you should not trash. Learn to use, learn to recycle. This, this earth is only one and we are, we are dis busy destroying it. And one of the greatest things that destroys the earth is the colossal amount of garbage that we create. And that garbage is a direct result of our social values. We throw away stuff we should not be throwing away. So let us try to do that which is beneficial for us when we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to be pleased with you and never to be displeased.